But it's still morning, so I say unto all, good morning. It is a honor and a privilege to be the guest of Reverend Jarrell and this church on this morning. I'm honored that Reverend Jarrell extended this invitation to me to share a message with you on this morning. As I was previously here in July of 2013. So uh, when she invited me back, I was seriously asked whether I didn't get the job done last time. Uh, and this was a second occasion for me to come and address you. Uh, on this morning, we're using our text for this morning's message out of the Gospel of John. And you will find it in the ninth chapter in the six and seven verse, and we're not going to go there right yet, because I really want to get into the meat of what I came to share with you on today. Because today, as I stand before you, I'm concerned and I'm fearful. And I'm concerned about issues that are affecting our nation and our cities. And I'm afraid. And I stand before you afraid for my children, for my children's children, and for your children and their children. And I want to share with you why I'm concerned and, I, and afraid. And our subject text for, for this morning is my brother's keeper. And my brother's keeper is a term that is referenced in the story of Cain and Abel from the book of Genesis and from the beginning of time. And it's understood by most to mean being responsible for the welfare of a brother or sister. And most think of it as referring to our biological brothers and sisters. But I submit to you that it is a reference to all of our brothers and sisters in this world. And I submit to you that we have a responsibility to each other, regardless of our race, our socioeconomic status, our gender, our sexual orientation, that we have a responsibility to each other. I have the honor and the privilege of being a member of the Northern and Central Louisiana Interfaith, where I serve with Reverend Jarrell and Susan and others, and we have several issues that are important to each of us. And those issues range from mass incarceration to payday lending to exploitation, exploitation of individuals and sex trafficking. They're all important issues. I also have the pleasure of serving with Mr. Henry Walker, my friend and my advisor on the Louisiana Campaign for Equal Justice wherein we're addressing the issue of the funding of the Public Defender's Office in our state and how can there be equal justice if there's not equal funding for public defenders. So when I say to you that I'm concerned about an issue and that I'm afraid this morning, I'm afraid that our criminal justice system is not serving each of our brothers and our sisters. I'm concerned that the activities that have taken place 
in places like Ferguson, Los Angeles, New York, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Utah, and Chicago, to name a few, are issues that will one day surface in our community if we're not proactive and if we don't do something to stem this tide of injustice. I'm concerned about the killings of citizens by law enforcement authorities. I'm afraid and concerned because those killed by law enforcement authorities, law enforcement officers in this country, they do not enjoy the rights of most citizens. Their calls or the interactions of law enforcement officers with citizens allow them not to get their day in court. They don't get an opportunity to prove their innocence, nor do the state get an opportunity to prove their guilt of their arrest. I'm concerned because we do not have law enforcement officers and should not allow law enforcement officers to be judge, jury, and executioner of those accused of a crime. And I'm afraid that if we do not address this issue in our cities and towns across this nation, then we will address the issue through a much larger issue of social unrest in our nation. I often said that the next major issue of social injustice in our nation will be between the haves and the have-not, those that are wealthy and those that are poor. And I'm concerned that any social unrest around this issue that we're now dealing with in this nation of law enforcement killing of individuals will make the riots of the 60s look mild in comparison. On April 4, 1968, riots broke out in 125 cities following the assassination of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Riots broke out in Washington, D.C., Chicago, and Baltimore. In our nation's capital, 1,200 buildings were destroyed. $27 million worth of damage was done. To quote George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Some of you may ask a question, why should I be concerned if it's not happening in Shreveport, Louisiana? Or it may never happen in our nation. There's not one person that could or would want to galvanize what could happen. But if we do not address it, if we do not have a proactive solution to the problems that our nation face, then it precisely could happen. We could have a repeat of the riots of the 60s. We need to be in front of this issue. We need to talk about this issue. We need to understand that though it may seem miles away from us, we're directly affected by this issue. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 9 and, and verse 1 through 7, Jesus is traveling down this road. And Jesus sees this blind man who was, according to Scripture, blind from birth. In 
And I would submit to you today that many of us are blind to what's happening in communities that we do not live in, communities that we're not a part of, only communities that we hear about in the news are we passed to. But the scripture says that Jesus, when he saw this blind man, he spat on the ground and made clay with his saliva. And with that clay, with that mud and that mixture of saliva, Jesus anointed the eyes of the blind man. And he sent him to wash in the pool of Salaam, which the man did in obedience. And because of his obedience, he came back seeing. He came back seeing. We need to open our eyes and be able to see the issues, the things that are happening in our community and how they have an effect on our lives. This particular passage of scripture does not indicate the distance that the man had to travel to get to the pool of Salaam. The scripture does not mention his race, his socioeconomic status, only his gender and his condition. The scripture does not say who helped the blind man along the way. All the days of his life, he was blind from birth, but it doesn't tell us who aided him during that days of his life. It does not even mention his parents, only that he was blinded from birth. But what the scripture does tell us, that this man was a man of faith. And you would ask, well, how do we know he was a man of faith? We know that he was a man of faith because he believed in something much greater than himself. How do we know this? We know this because none of us would subject ourselves to having someone spit on the ground mixed the saliva with clay and mud and we would not allow them to put it on our eyes. And we definitely wouldn't walk around with it on our face. But this man did. He did because he believed in a power greater than him. Something greater than himself. You have been studying this week the seventh principle of Unitarianism and the belief for the respect for the interdependence web of all existence. To me, that sounds like you've been studying about how to be my brother's keeper. Because it is embracing a principle of something that is greater than yourself. Last year, there were nearly 500 suspects that were fatally shot by law enforcement officers. According to statistics by the FBI, this is most in two decades. And I would like to submit this question to you. When did suspected prisoners stop being our kids? When did they stop being fathers or mothers or sons and daughters? When did they stop being our concern? None of our children have a choice into what family they're born. They don't get to pick what neighborhoods they live in. They don't control the social 
environment in which they live. But by our constitution, they're born and guaranteed certain inalienable rights, certain fundamental rights. Some of those rights are right to a fair trial. A right to a fair trial by an impartial jury, to be confronted with witnesses against them, and to have the assistance of counsel. In the military, we used to have a saying, and we had a very, very strict code of engagement, rules of engagement and deadly force, but we always had this saying that dead men cannot lie. They cannot speak. They cannot tell the truth. So 500 individuals in our country last year did not get to speak for themselves. They did not get to exercise those rights of being tried by a jury and having evidence presented of their guilt or their innocence. And least that someone get the misunderstanding by my brother's keeper this morning that I'm against law enforcement, I'm not. I would like to share with you some of my background. I want to go on the record to say that I am not against law enforcement, that I support all laws and the Constitution of our United States and the states that we live in. Because for 20 plus years, I served our country defending the principles of liberty upon which we were founded. I served as a military policeman for one tour of duty in the Marine Corps. I majored in criminal justice. And my desire was to serve my country, not only in the military, but also as a law enforcement officer. But today I stand before you concerned about the rules of engagement, about the use of deadly force, about those sworn to protect and to serve, to protect and to serve. I'm concerned that no one should be above the law. In Romans 12, 17 through 21, Paul admonished us to repay no one evil for evil, but to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all, and I believe that these words as recorded in the Gospel of John, uh, Gospel of Luke and 12 and 48, for whom unto whatsoever much is given shall much be required, and for whom men have committed much, of him they will ask more. Instead of division when law enforcement, we need transparency. We need accountability. And we need a citizen's review board. We should never let this old phrase, the fox guard the hen house. Therefore, we should not let organizations or businesses, public or private, that are dependent on your tax dollars, that are supported by your tax dollars, to self-police themselves. We need to be proactive and look at all of these issues because we need law enforcement to serve and to protect lives, even at the risk of their own. As a service man, our service members, men and women today, they do not get to enjoy the protection of a union. They don't have individual lobbying for their bill of rights. 
they're given instructions and orders and they're told to serve. And many times when their service is up, they're sent home with only the benefits that they've earned. But every day, they're willing to put their life on the line. They're willing to die. They're willing to go into foreign countries. They're willing to quell disturbances within our borders. And they're willing to do all of those things to defend the Constitution of these United States. And they get no special privileges or benefits. You know, I was doing some research, and I was trying to determine how many law enforcement officers actually get traffic tickets. And I would venture to say they don't get them. It's a special privilege that they enjoy. Two weeks ago, I was down at a meeting in a little bit longer than two weeks in Leesville with the Democratic Party for a Democratic Party meeting for this state. And one of our elected officials was also at that meeting. In order to get that meeting, I had to get up early in the morning and leave my house before 6.30 a.m. to arrive there. But our state legislator that was there at this particular meeting pulled out this card and she said, I don't worry about tickets because I got this get-out-of-jail-free card that stops me from getting tickets. That's a privilege. But it's a privilege that our ordinary citizens don't enjoy and don't have. They have no special privileges. We expect our military members, our airmen, marines, sailors, and, and soldiers and guardsmen to live by higher standards. We expect our government officials and our leaders to live by higher standards. We should adhere that all those in positions of leadership to serve should live by a higher standard. We were taught the rules of the Geneva Convention in the military, and those rules outline our rules of engagement. They outline the rules for how we would treat our prisoners of war, the wounded, the sick, all enemy combatants. And we were trained and prepared for the worst treatment from our enemy. But we were also instructed that it is our humanitarianism that separates us from our enemies and that regardless of how our enemy treats us, we have to adhere to a higher standard. Should not we expect that same humanity and respect from those that we have hired to serve, from a professional law enforcement agency? Because See, our community is their community. Our children is their children. Our lives are their lives, and all our lives matter. In this country, with increasing inequality, we cannot afford to lose faith in the criminal justice system. We cannot afford to lose faith and trust in those that are hired to serve and to protect. We need our law enforcement to live up to the oath that they have sworn to support the Constitution of the United States and the laws of this great state that we live in, to faithfully and impartially discharge and perform the duties incumbent upon them according to the best of their abilities and understanding. But it's upon us we the people to realize that we are our brother's keeper. 
when we allow legislators, when we allow leaders to make laws in a vacuum that protects them but does not protect society as a whole, then we're not being our brother's keeper. When I pick up a piece of paper and I see a piece of paper that says that failure to pay child support is a criminal offense, how does that support our families? How does taking someone that may be working a minimum wage job and putting them in jail, forcing them to lose their job, how does that stabilize a family? It does not. But we are the people. And as the people, we need to ensure that all of our citizens, regardless of their race, regardless of their social economic status, regardless of their gender, their sexual orientation, we need to ensure that all of our people, as endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, among these, a life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We have an obligation as our brother's keeper to secure those rights that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to the end, it is not right, and it is the right of the people to alter or abolish that form of government. It means that when we see injustice anywhere, we are obligated, all of us, to try and correct and change that injustice. And we're to reply upon, rely upon each other, then we must defend each other because we depend on each other. And that implies and is understood that we the people are our brother's keeper. This issue is much better than the time that I'm giving it this morning, but I would ask you to think about your role in revamping this system of justice or the lack of justice that we have in our country because we don't want what's happening in Ferguson what's going on in South Carolina and New York we do not want to relive the sixes where individuals because they're so disenfranchised they're so fed up that they're destroying the very community and the fabric of the community in which we all live we're all interconnected and we need to look at this and see what is our role in this. May God bless you, and may God keep you, and may he bring you peace.